Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining our webinar on universal savings accounts. I'm excited to discuss this important policy reform with our two panelists uh, and share the idea with all of you. But before we, uh, we dive in, I've got a few housekeeping items for you. Uh, first, uh, this is being recorded uh, and an email of the recording will be sent to you um, following this within 48 hours. We also encourage you all to submit your questions uh, to the questions box, as you can see on the screen here. Uh, please share your name and your organization so that we can uh, credit the question uh, to whoever is asking it. Uh, lastly, all attendees are in listen-only mode. Uh, and with that, uh, we will get started. I would like to invite our two guests to join me on screen by turning on their webcams. And we have with us uh, Christina King, uh, first, who is a senior economist uh, in her 10th year with the Joint Economic Committee, working for the chairman on the Social Capital Project. She examines uh, policies that can improve economic opportunity for U.S. citizenry at large uh, through the lens of social capital, which I hope we can get into a little bit more uh, throughout the program. She was also a master's fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. We also have with us Chris Edwards, who is the Director of Tax Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and editor of DownsizingGovernment.org. Before joining Cato, Chris also worked at the Joint Economic Committee. Uh, he was a manager at PricewaterhouseCoopers and uh, worked as an economist at the Tax Foundation. He's the author of Downsizing the Federal Government, and he's also the uh, co-author of Global Tax Revolution, a book that I'd recommend to everyone. Before we dig in uh, with questions for our panelists, uh, I want to uh, start with a brief overview. Um, following uh, economic crises of all types, people tend to save a little bit more. Uh, we look around at governments, at businesses, and it's clear that over the past de uh, decade or so of good economic times, Many of them have, uh, have overextended themselves. Indi many individual Americans are, are no different. So as people again uh, remember the benefits of, of increased savings and begin to put a little bit more away each month, Congress should do everything in its power to remove the current barriers that stand in the way of Americans uh, saving uh, a little additional money each and every month. What, no matter what they're saving for, uh, whether it be a future rainy day, a new car, starting a family, folks should be able to save for whatever they prioritize in their life. The current system of government-approved savings accounts are complicated and only allow you to save for specific government-defined purposes. The system ultimately disadvantages the, lower, the lowest income Americans and de decreases levels of savings across the board. Universal savings accounts can hopefully fix this problem by streamlining the complexity and making savings something that is encouraged at every income level. 
and it will hopefully in the current economic times capitalize on the coming period of increased precautionary savings and uh, allow it allow more American families to uh, secure their future on their own terms. So with that, I want to start with Chris. Uh, I know that you've been writing about USAs for a while, discussing the idea with uh, with lawmakers, with, uh, with sort of anyone that will listen. <laughs> and I was hoping you could start by explaining why you think USAs are are so important and how they are different from, say, the savings account that they already have with my bank. Well, thanks a lot for hosting uh, today, uh, Adam, and thanks uh, and thank you to Heritage Foundation. I'm also I'm delighted to be here with Christina, who's written a great new report on universal savings, savings accounts for the Joint Economic Committee. You know, my starting point here is that all savings is socially beneficial. All savings uh, increases personal financial security. It provides investment funds uh, for capital investment in the economy. And more personal savings can help reduce the burden of people uh, needing various sorts of handouts from the government. But the basic problem is, is that the income tax creates a bias against savings. It encourages consumption now. If you have a wage earner, uh, he pays uh, income tax when he earns his uh, wage. Uh, if he goes out and buys an automobile, for example, there is no further income tax on that transaction. But if he is a frugal person and he saves up for a number of years to buy the car, uh, he is taxed on the uh, earnings in that savings accounts. That makes more sense. That, that makes no sense. The whole system is biased toward people uh, consuming now. A lot of lawmakers have uh, recognized this problem, and the bipartisan response over the decades has been to create separate savings accounts for different sort of politically determined activities. So we have retirement accounts. We have education savings accounts. Uh, we have health savings accounts. Uh, those are all fine, but, you know, the truth is all savings are beneficial. Um, during booms, uh, during good times, people ought to be saving for unemployment. Uh, people may want to save to start up a business. Young people may uh, want to save for a wedding or a first-time home purchase. Uh, the idea of universal savings accounts is that all savings are beneficial and all should uh, achieve this neutral uh, treatment in the tax code. Uh, eliminating the double taxation of savings. So the basic tra tax treatment of universal savings accounts is, would be the same as a Roth IRA. You earn money, and then you can put after-tax money into the accounts, and then the money can grow uh, tax-free over time. And the key here is that you would be able to withdraw from the, the USA accounts at any time for any reason, tax and penalty-free. That creates a huge amount of simplification uh, in these accounts, and it increases liquidity. If you make the money easy to take out, you're going to encourage more people to put money into these accounts and save more. So th that's the basic sketch of these universal savings accounts that have been discussed in Congress um, for a number of years now. Uh, I think now's the, the time to go ahead with these sorts of accounts. One of the things that you mentioned in passing there was how someone might use these accounts uh, as an unemployment uh, in a benefit or when, at a times of unemployment. I think that's particularly pertinent today in that even if we have an unemployment system, it uh, often there are delays in getting those benefits. There's all sorts of sort of hiccups in the system as we're seeing right now. I think even if there's various other programs out there that uh, encouraging individuals to have these types of accounts that they can draw on this, their own money is a way of really putting individuals 
individuals in the driver's seat. Um, and, uh, and I think any time of, of, of the economic cycle is a good time for USA, but right now just sort of shows this one, uh, one particular benefit of, of putting people in charge of their own money. Um, I want to uh, turn to Christina and, uh, and ask you to sort of elaborate on USA's under in a sort of broader context. I know you've been looking at, at, at universal savings accounts. You have a new report that you link to in the chat uh, called Savings for Social Capital. Could you tell us a little bit more first what social capital is and then how they relate to USA's and sort of the benefits of savings uh, overall? Certainly. Um, so I'd first like to note that these are my own views and not of the chairman or of the Joint Economic Committee. But that said, social capital is the value of the things that we do together. It's the value of our relationships with our families, our friends, our neighbors and coworkers. And the currency of these relationships is denominated in trust, empathy, fellow feeling. And essentially, I argue in the paper that financial capital in the form of savings undergirds social capital. So there are reasons to believe that savings increases social capital in many ways, but the research that examines this question directly is not that well developed. But we intuitively know that savings allows us to form and expand families, makes home ownership possible, and supports uh, communities and institutions that enrich our lives. Um, savings is likely to for support family stability. There's research that shows having as assets may reduce parental stress and change aspirations for children. And obviously much of the benefits or of the evidence on the benefits of savings focuses on home ownership, which finds associations with improved neighborhood safety, more civic engagement, accelerated marriage and reduced divorce and better child outcomes. And more broadly, a savings is likely to generate uh, greater charitable giving, which would be expected to strengthen civil society. So in a nutshell, uh, universal savings accounts could help rectify the bias towards consumption over savings, which would increase the accessibility of savings and, and investment opportunities, growing financial capital, which that could then support social capital. Great. Thank you. Uh, I, Chris, sort of picking up on this, uh, on how how these accounts actually increase people's uh, willingness uh, to save and the amount that they save. Uh, this isn't necessarily a new idea. You and, um, and Ryan Bourne, one of your colleagues, has looked at similar accounts in the UK and in Canada. I was hoping you could uh, sort of elaborate on the lessons you learned there um, and sort of what, what you found. Well, you know, uh, thanks for the question, I mean, but 20 years ago, I wrote a Cato uh, a piece uh, proposing this idea of universal savings accounts, and there didn't seem to be that much interest uh, in it at the time. And then a number of years later, in 2009, I noticed that the country north of the border, Canada, had actually uh, introduced and passed into law uh, universal savings accounts. They call them tax-free savings accounts. Canadians can put uh, $6,000 a year after tax into these accounts. All Canadians can, uh, can put money in. There's no kind of restrictions in any way. Uh, these accounts, the money grows tax-free um, forever. People can withdraw whenever they want uh, for any reason. These, these accounts have proved enormously popular, but half of all Canadians uh, have these accounts. That compares, for example, in the United States to Roth IRA, Roth IRA accounts. Only about 20% of Americans uh, hold those accounts. So these new Canadian accounts already, they're only a decade old. Half of all um, households uh, own the accounts. Uh, similarly, in Britain, uh, the UK uh, in 1999 uh, created what are called individual savings accounts. This was under a Labour or left-of-centre government. 
Um, and these accounts are remarkable. Uh, all uh, uh, British uh, residents can put up to 20,000 pounds or about $25,000 a year into these accounts. Again, the money grows uh, tax-free forever. You can withdraw for any reason at any time. Again, these accounts are hugely uh, popular. Over 40% of all Brits uh, have these accounts. So I think Canada and Britain show that there, there is a huge uh, demand for the idea of a universal savings account. And going back to what you said uh, a little earlier, Adam, that you know we're in a recession now. Uh, people need, people are unemployed. They need access to money. Uh, we're seeing this year a lot of people withdrawing from their 401k uh, accounts, which you know most of us don't think is really great because that money is supposed to be there for retirement. But uh, that leakage from 401k accounts, you can see, really represents a demand for a universal savings account that is different from retirement accounts. So the way I would uh, perceive, you know, an optimal kind of savings system is is have a larger and strengthened 401k system for retirement, but then separately allow Americans, uh, all Americans, all households, a separate universal account uh, for savings for all other types of purposes. And that way, I think we get the strongest saving system that we can get. Yeah, I'd also like to add that there's a clear interest in having more of a general purpose emergency savings option for which USAs would clearly be a great vehicle. There's actually a number of companies that are offering these on an ad hoc basis. Uh, I, I know that SunTrust Banks is testing out a version that allows auto deposits for employee paychecks with encouraging employer matching. So as the popularity of these kinds of accounts grows, USAs could naturally offer portability as workers switch between jobs too. Uh, Christina, if you could, I know that in your report you touch on this issue in uh, in depth as well. Can you elaborate on how the sort of complexity of the current matrix of accounts um, disadvantages uh, uh, or discourages people from savings simply because of this sort of the complexity of only having government approved savings options that maybe have to be earmarked in advance? Sure. So the, the current exception, as you said, um, generally involve retirement, education, disability, health and dependent care. Each has a particular purpose with the eligibility standards, withdrawal penalties for non-designated purposes, age limits, time limits, the restrictions go on. Um, and as we've mentioned though, with the health savings account, those are only allowable if the account holder has a high deductible health plan that may not work for all families. Not all employers offer retirement plans, and if they do, they might not extend the benefit to, to all of the positions. And additionally, taxpayers have to have a specific type of taxable income to contribute to an IRA. So if you try to claim an exception for, to the rules, it can be risky because you could incur a tax penalty if you don't meet those requirements. For example, if a filer takes an early distribution from a 401k in order to cover medical costs but incorrectly estimates adjusted gross income or the distribution is too large relative to the medical costs, she, he or she would still have to pay a fine or partial or full penalty on the excess. And that penalty tax is, a, is on top of the income tax for that distribution. So the other important point is plans and goals change. Unfortunately, the allowable uses of those specific tax advantage savings accounts does not change. And Adam, I think you actually mentioned in your work before that low income savers are nearly one third more likely to face an additional tax penalty uh, for improperly withdrawing uh, during a personal financial crisis. So obviously this would make a lot of people very reticent about locking up their resources in, in these accounts if accessing the money is difficult, even if the tax advantage is there over traditional savings. Yeah, can I underline something Christina just said there? I think this is really important because sometimes uh, critics will say that, well, savings accounts 
in, in tax law only benefit people of higher incomes. In fact, if you look at the data in Canada and Britain, uh, the big bulk of accounts are owned by people of moderate incomes. I was just looking at the data yesterday. Both Britain and Canada, people are interested, uh, provide very detailed statistics on their accounts. So in Britain, 70% of the holders of their universal accounts uh, have annual income of less than $38,000 a year. And in Canada, half of all holders in their tax-free or universal savings accounts are under $50,000 a year. As Christina said, I think, you know, what is going on here is that moderate income people, they may not want to lock up their money for decades uh, later on for retirement because they may need it in the near term. So the, the key of universal savings accounts is liquidity. It is easy to get access to your money. The easier you create access, uh, the, the better liquidity you have, the more people are going to be encouraged to save. So I think that's one of the keys to why these accounts have uh, proven to be so popular in Canada and Britain for moderate income people. And I think that's the component missing in all these uh, U.S. savings vehicles. A last point on that, if you look at actually the, the distribution on usage, uh, the U.S. accounts like Roth IRAs are slanted a little toward uh, higher income users. The universal accounts in Canada and Britain are slanted much more to moderate and uh, lower income people. And I think it's the, the liquidity, the ease of withdrawal that is the key to these accounts. I'd, I'd encourage everyone to check out a chart that I think Christina has in her most recent paper that uh, that we've referenced several times that shows that distribution Chris was just mentioning. It, show, it sort of charts among the same income uh, quintiles the how 401ks tend to be used by uh, higher income folks at higher rates where these accounts in the UK and Canada have a pretty even distribution uh, across um, across income groups. Uh, the, the other piece that is, is interesting is they also tend to be used by uh, younger cohorts as well. Uh, and I think this speaks to uh, uh, conversations that I've had myself where people uh, people will ask, hey, I, I know I should be saving, but should I be saving in my uh, 529 account for uh, for my kids' uh, college, or should I be saving in my 401k for uh, for retirement? And it, and it's having to make that decision now that when I decide I need to put money away, now I have to explicitly earmark it for one one savings outcome or another is uh, often paralyzes a lot of people. It's I mean it, it's something that I myself had has sort of paused and waited and said, maybe I'm not ready to say this money is going to be just for this purpose. And that, I think, can drive a lot of, uh, of folks simply not using the current saving system. It's sort of in this line of questioning, I know that there's been proposals uh, out there as USAs have floated around um, where there, people have proposed adding various requirements on, on USAs, whether or not you have to keep the money in there for a certain number of years, or you or you can only uh, access the accounts until you hit a certain income threshold, say $200,000 a year. Um, I'd like to hear from both Christina and Chris on how you think through these um, these requirements, the positives and benefits of them, um, and, uh, and sort of go from there. So in Canada, I think it's been most successful in creating the simplest possible accounts. They have accounts you put in, you can put in up to six thousand dollars a year, uh, and that's it. There's basically no other rules. You can withdraw for any reason at any time. They have these simple accounts. 
Everyone uh, knows that these accounts exist in Canada. You walk into any bank branch, there's advertising for these accounts. You can open them online as easily as, easily as you can just open a regular bank account. So a lot of people in both Canada and Britain, they'll, they'll just park cash there in these accounts um, you know, while they're waiting to figure out what to do, as you're saying, uh, Adam, to you know, figure out how they want to uh, save it in particular. Simplification uh, has to be the key here. People have to know that these accounts are universal, anyone can use them, and you can withdraw for any reason at any time. That has to be uh, the, the way we go with these accounts. You get a lot of benefits uh, by that simplification. Uh, you get the liquidity benefits, and you encourage more people to save because they know that they're so simple. Yeah, I'd echo that simplicity here is key, uh, just reducing the general bias against savings in the tax code. And, and I don't see the income restriction as necessary. The annual contribution limit is just that every year. It's the same across the income distribution. And you can implement other reforms that aim to sunset other goal-specific tax-advantaged accounts that are more heavily utilized by higher-income families. And additionally, yeah, again, having that time limit reduces the likelihood that lower income families would participate. You know, they're more likely to experience negative income shocks, a large emergency expense could come up before the time limit is done, and they could be paying a steep penalty again for access to that savings. So the real consequence here is actually the loss of earnings by withdrawing funds early instead of allowing them to grow over time. And so you don't need a penalty tax to add insult to injury. Thank you, thank you both. Um, I. So we are getting a bunch of great questions from the audience, and I've got a couple more uh, uh, of my own, but I'm going to encourage folks to continue to put their questions in the question box, and we'll get to them. Uh, one of the things that's come up in a couple of different uh, places is uh, just a little bit more information about, about what exactly a USA looks like it, when, it's, when it's actually implemented. Um, the, we have a question from a heritage donor, uh, Chris M, and he, he asks, are these savings accounts where one can invest, save, or spend as needed in the future, um, similar to health uh, healthcare medical savings accounts for any income group to enhance economic security? Would one of you just sort of touch a little bit more on how these would operate in practice? Chris, I'm, I'm happy to... Uh... So, so my, you know, my proposal for USA accounts is that uh, it would be a universal account. Uh, all individuals could put up to $10,000 a year after tax into the accounts. And then essentially, there's, there's no more rules. You can withdraw for any reason at any time. The, uh, within the accounts, you could uh, invest in, uh, you know, stocks and bonds and other sort of, you know, mutual funds and other sorts of investments uh, like that. Um, uh, but that's, you know, that's basically uh, it. You could, uh, I, you could either, uh, while you're introduced, while Congress introduces these accounts, they could either eliminate um, Roth IRAs and IRAs um, and maybe some other accounts to simplify the system, maybe even 529 accounts. Um, that would simplify the whole system. Or you could just simply introduce these new accounts. And these accounts would be superior to 529s and IRAs uh, of all types. And so they would sort of uh, go out of uh, fashion uh, anyway, and everyone would use these new uh, universal accounts. So that's how I would see the system uh, uh, working down the road. Is there a standard interest rate in a USA or? No, I mean, just like when uh, people in the 401k accounts can choose a variety of different investments, you know, index funds, actively managed funds, uh, uh, whatever, uh, bond funds, uh, the same would be true within um, USA accounts. There would be a wide 
a range of investment uh, options available. Yeah, you, you could potentially model the way that the health savings accounts do that kind of they, they give you the ability to withdraw funds immediately if you need it um, or, you know, have a particular set of your funds invested. Ideally, financial institutions uh, sponsoring these would, yeah, as you mentioned, um, have plans that are oriented towards particular savings goals if you wanted. Um, you know, if you're saving for college, you know, you, you could have a targeted fund. Uh, saving for retirement in a longer term, or you can even have different age groups that have a different mix of, of, of risk in your in the invest, investments. Christina, I know that in your in your writing, you have a pretty specific proposal with, as Chris was mentioning, how USAs could be part of broader simplification. Is, is that something you can touch on uh, briefly? Sure. So yeah, like, like Chris had mentioned, um, I, ideally uh, with the, the plan policymakers with sunset Roth IRAs, ABLE accounts, Coverdell ESAs, and 529 accounts, which all also feature this after-tax contribution and tax-free distribution the way that a uh, Roth-style uh, USA would do. Um, you could do, I, I argue for an annual contribution limit equal to 35,000, um, less the total contributions to other defined contribution plans and traditional IRAs. So let's say, for example, you maxing out your 401k you with a contribution of $19,500, that would leave you with about 15,500 in space to contribute to your USA. And that ultimately helps you like allow for those short to medium term goals in addition to some of your longer term goals. And I also talk about how any adult could contribute to another's USA, but that would count to that beneficiary's annual contribution limit, and contributions to others' accounts uh, would be subject to the gift tax if applicable too, so that would kind of be another limitation there. Um, and that's pretty much it. After-tax contributions, earnings would not be taxed, removes the guesswork of tax deferral upfront, um, or taxes owed on withdrawals. Thank you. Uh, the before we turn um, more exclusively to the questions coming in from the audience, the last one for me for, for now is USAs, at least to me, seem like a great idea. Um, they the, the simplicity makes sense, uh, but they seem to hit roadblocks in Congress. Um, they move forward in fits and starts. Um, do you guys have any insight as to what those barriers are um, and sort of how we can uh, keep pushing this idea forward? I mean, I think they are they are they are popular, um, you know, amongst Republicans. I mean, I guess up to about a decade ago, Senator, uh, former Senator Jeff Flake and Representative David Bratt introduced House and Senate versions of uh, USA accounts. Uh, the Republicans, after they passed their big uh, tax reform uh, in 2017, they proposed and passed through the House a tax reform 2.0 bill, and that included. Uh, universal savings accounts. So I think the Republicans are on board. We do need more convincing for uh, uh, for some Democrats. I'm, I, I do fear that um, the current uh, Democratic Party uh, and uh, possible President Joe Biden, they're, they're really come out with a lot of anti-savings proposals. Uh, Joe Biden is proposing to raise the capital gains tax uh, uh, up to 40 percent, which is a really kind of a bizarre um, uh, proposal. Uh, since the beginning of the income tax a century ago, we've almost always had a much lower capital gains rate to encourage investment or savings in startup uh, businesses and entrepreneurship. So I fear that the Democrats are sort of going the wrong way uh, on savings. Uh, but uh, you know, there may be a, a chance uh, uh, if we if we do another 
um, uh, sort of a bailout bill uh, for uh, for uh, an aid for COVID, the COVID-19 crisis this year. That maybe uh, uh, you know USA accounts could could uh, be there. The way I see USA accounts is there would be a way to build resilience uh, for uh, possible future uh, recessions. Uh, we want to build resilience by getting people to save. Uh, and so that's what I think. That's the that the general idea of USA accounts. Christina, I think any remaining reticence around that goes back to the critique that that USA's might be just another carve out for the rich. But in reality, it's the other way around. You know, the existing savings accounts with the tax advantage are more accessible to higher income families, or more likely have the resources to spare and to hire professionals to help them navigate the complexities that are associated with them. And, and it's worth, again, going back to, to the chart that we were talking about earlier uh, for Canada's version of uh, US, USA's, the tax-free savings account. It is more broadly used across the income spectrum. The bottom two in income quintiles among Canadians, they're twice as likely to have a TFSA, over 20% and nearly 40% respectively, as their American counterparts are in those bottom two quintiles to have an IRA or a KEO account. So it's important to continue to drive the message home that USAs are just more egalitarian accounts than the system of dis disparate accounts that we currently have. And in fact, I'll also point out with the United Kingdom's uh, individual savings accounts, they were, they were made for the express purpose of enabling lower and middle income families to save more. And so they actually eliminated some previous tax advantage accounts in the process, which further some provided simplification. And I think that's important for any potential reform here, one that aims to reduce the types of goal-specific accounts available in favor of the more accessible USA. And folks will find that, that USAs can serve a broader share of Americans. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. I want to turn to some of the, the questions coming in from the, the audience. I'm going to start with a sort of nuts and bolts question that uh, hopefully you guys have an answer to or an idea. We've got a question from Dean um, from AFP, and he wants to know uh, what the CBO sort of scorekeeping score of, of instituting something like universal savings accounts would look like. Like, what would the uh, quote unquote cost be in, if, uh, if they were to score something like this? Christina, do you have a sense of that? Honestly, I, I, it does depend on the design and what other reforms that, that you uh, are, are doing in addition to establishing a USA. Um, I believe with the Family Savings Act of 2018, even for that, that 2,500 per, per family, uh, that was uh, 8.6 billion that the CBO scored over 10 years, but that was obviously a very static score. It didn't consider dynamic effects and you know just looked at the 10 year window instead of the broader time horizon. Yeah, what I would say on that is, you know, I'm not in favor of uh, increasing the deficit in any way. And, I, you know, the the, uh, the revenue loss could easily be offset. And, you know, my favorite uh, target there is the uh, tax-free status of municipal bond interest. Uh, currently, the federal government uh, has this massive subsidy for state and local governments and essentially high-income people by, um, by uh, uh, completely exempting um, the, the interest on municipal, in other words, city and state, uh, bonds. So I think a fair trade would be to eliminate uh, that tax-free uh, status of muni bonds, uh, thus raising substantial revenue from high, uh, higher income Americans and then using that revenue uh, to introduce universal savings accounts, which are more broadly beneficial. So I think you can uh, introduce these accounts in a way um, that doesn't lose the government revenue and actually makes the system more sort of uh, distributionally fair. 
I think it's uh, you mentioning mentioning the uh, interest deduction for for muni bonds is is interesting in this context because it also incentivizes local governments to take on additional debt, which is really the opposite of what USA is trying to do. It's trying to encourage people to, to to save more on their own rather than encouraging more debt in the broader economic system. So I like I like that pairing. So a, a, a good question come, uh, from Katie Tubb, who's a colleague of mine at the Heritage Foundation. She wants to know, what is the strongest argument against USAs? Uh, and what's your response to that critique? Um, I'll start with you, Christina. Uh, so again, I, I guess the strongest argument is people's perception that it's going to be a, a carve out for the rich when in fact it's not. And, and again, I'll go back to the evidence. The evidence internationally speaks for itself that these are more broadly used. And actually there is one more critique, uh, which was that uh, people would simply um, redistribute their savings instead of saving more. And actually, I think that your previous work, Adam, pointed to a lot of evidence that actually, even particularly among lower income savers, they ended up saving more with the introduction of a universal savings account. Yeah, that, that research, I think, came from uh, Canada. And it, the critique is that people will simply transfer their existing uh, savings from retirement into a, a universal savings account, either meaning you get no additional savings um, or, or even crowd out uh, retirement savings. And it, it seems that people in general don't do that, that uh, people will continue to uh, save for retirement, especially in our system where your employer will match your retirement savings. Uh, but this simply expands the universe of new savings um, so that people are, are simply putting more away in, in the aggregate. And that's, uh, I think that's re really cool to see. And it, and it just proves that, that the current complicated system we have in the U.S. actually does discourage discourage savings. Chris, do you have anything to, to add on that question? Well, I would, you know, I would point out both Canada and Britain already had retirement accounts like our 401k system where uh, people and companies got deductions up front. So they already had the retirement system like we do now. And they decided that people needed this universal way to save for all other uh, savings purposes. And so, you know, I don't think that there is a big barrier here to introduction. I, I, I think maybe one of the only reasons why it was not in the Republican 2017 bill is that Republicans and President Trump wanted like a big tax cut now that people would immediately see on their, you know, their pay stub or something like that. Uh, the idea of universal savings accounts, is not really so much about the tax cut. It's creating a long-term benefit for people. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think that there's no big political barrier to it. It's just a matter of, of educating policymakers about the long-term advantages to families. Just a point of, of clarification, I've got a question from Alexis uh, at Tax Notes. And uh, the question is, uh, are these accounts uh, fully tax-free in your proposal? Um, Chris, could you elaborate on sort of maybe Roth versus traditional versus fully tax-free like health savings accounts? Right. So health savings accounts in our current systems are completely tax free. There's no tax up front and there's no tax when people uh, use the income. Uh, most of the savings accounts in our system, of course, like 401ks and IRAs, the tax either comes up front or it comes uh, later on. Uh, the tax treatment of USA accounts uh, would be like uh, Roth IRAs where the tax comes up front. You, uh, In other words, you contribute after tax earnings but then there's no uh, further tax. 
uh, when you uh, on earnings and withdrawals. In my view, that creates neutrality. It creates neutrality between consumption now and consumption in the future. Uh, and I think that's, you know, as an economist, that's what I, I want. I like neutrality in the tax system. Uh, you know, and I would say this, that, you know, the, the tax barrier to saving is not the only reason why Americans don't save enough. There are there are other causes of America's low savings rate. Uh, and this and this would only, um, you know, help us with one of those causes. But it would be a step forward, I think, in making uh, Americans more resilient and increasing uh, their incentive to save. The uh, I've got another question here from um, James on how the U.S. might adopt similar programs like Canada, uh, where that you can transfer existing savings into your universal savings accounts. Is that uh, something that, I think that's something that can happen in Canada, Chris. Is that, uh, um, can, we, can you speak a little bit more to that? Sure, I mean, if we introduce universal savings accounts, let's say with a $10,000 annual contribution cap, people could certainly uh, withdraw from, uh, you know, taxable accounts and put money into universal savings accounts. Uh, that would be fine from my point of view. It would encourage, it would still encourage uh, more savings. And like I said, it would create neutrality. We want neutrality in our tax system. Uh, we, we want to eliminate that double taxation or bias um, in, against savings in the tax code. So whether people put in fresh money, which uh, it would encourage, or whether people would move money from taxable accounts, that would be uh, that would be fine. I think both make sense to me. And I, I argue actually in uh, the proposal in the paper that you should be able, especially as you're sunsetting other accounts, uh, that you should be able to roll in uh, from other after-tax accounts like the 529s that you're sunsetting, the Coverdell ESA, ESAs, and so forth. And if you wanted to convert from uh, tr some traditional money, IRA money, you pay the income tax on it, and then you can roll that into your your universal savings account. The I think one of the uh, things I remember when I was looking at the difference between Roth versus traditional, whether or not you you pay the tax at the beginning or or when you pull the money out, um, is there's often an argument where the um, the that if you provide the deduction today, people are going to save more. But people also tend to save more if you pay the taxes initially, because we have in our minds. We're going to save $5,000, whether it's before tax or after tax. Uh, and so uh, a lot of the, the sort of depending, depending on which one, which one you, you favor uh, or how it's designed, uh, the idea is simply removing that extra layer of capital gains and dividends taxes and paired with the simplicity of just picking one and sticking with it that I, I think can be so powerful as, as part of this one thing we haven't touched on really explicitly today is uh, is what this would do for sort of economic growth overall. Uh, we talked a lot about how this increases individual savings, um, uh, sort of more money in yours or my my, my pocketbook. Uh, Christina, maybe starting with you, is there sort of a broader macroeconomic piece of of, of this reform that that we can sort of that we should fit USAs into? Uh, I, I think greater investment, of course, would uh, increase economic growth. But I, you know, coming at this more of a, from the social capital angle per se, um, this kind of does a lot more for uh, civil society and especially from like the charitable contributions context when you're looking at a macro level. Um, and actually, uh, in a recent paper that was produced by my colleague Robert Belfori. 
on um, char the charitable deduction. Um, it, it's, it was interesting that the pattern for um, lower income families, um, they gave more to um, for, for the poor and uh, as opposed to higher income families uh, that gave more to the arts and other institutions. And so um, enabling lower income families to save more, take, uh, uh, to give more to charity would also um, help lower income Americans help themselves, but also for the causes that they support more broadly in civil society. Excellent. The, before we uh, we wrap up, I've got um, one one more question here from Warren. Uh, on he asks, could uh, USA's be the, a means of transferring wealth from grandparents to uh, grandchildren? Either one of you have have thoughts on sort of how to structure intergenerational component of these, Chris. I didn't address that in my uh, in my studies. I haven't thought about that uh, that in uh, in that in detail. Uh, yeah, likely. I, th I think that that that's kind of more of the minutia, like uh, you know, that really depends on the design. I, certainly, you want to make sure that everything is is fair and you're not uh, using any particular arbitrage. Uh, but um, you know, the way that the current system exists or the current system is with with trusts and other things like that. I don't. I don't I don't see uh, any particular points of, I don't know where I was going at that point, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no worries. That, the, I, th I think the way that, that makes most sense to structure these accounts is that each, any individual has one uh, and anyone can, can contribute money to it, whether it be that individual, their grandparents, their employer, um, or, or their contractor, like, their, like Uber, you're an Uber driver. Uh, and so, uh, and if, as long as everyone is set is kept by that, whatever it be, ten thousand dollar annual contribution uh, limit, mm -hmm. uh, no matter doesn't matter where that money comes from, it 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 should then it then it belongs to the individual account holder, uh, and it yeah. can grow, be invested, and used. Um, so that's at least one one way to structure them so that they're even more universally applicable. Uh, with that, we're running up against the, uh, the sort of end of our time together. Uh, before I let you and everyone else go, um, I'd like to just uh, ask you each to close with uh, 30 seconds or a minute on either something we left out or your sort of closing thought on universal savings accounts that you want to leave everyone uh, with. I'll start with Chris and then we'll end with Christina. Well, I think, you know, we're discussing this in the context of a deep recession uh, we are in and the COVID-19 crisis this year. I think one thing we've learned this year is that recessions will come along and crises will come along uh, and surprise us. Uh, we thought that, you know, everyone thought the economy was going to continue growing forever and they, and they weren't saving enough. So I hope Americans remember that, you know, economists can't predict the future. We don't know when recessions are going to uh, happen. Uh, everyone in society needs to, during good times, need to reduce their debt and increase their savings. And I'm talking about governments and businesses uh, and individuals. I think that the foreign experience here has shown us that there is a large demand for a universal savings account uh, vehicle uh, that would be uh, broadly used across the uh, across the spectrum uh, of all households. And I think, you know, I'd like to see the United States go in that direction. I think we should introduce universal savings accounts with perhaps a $10,000 or so annual contribution limit. And I think it would go a long way to increasing uh, personal financial security 
uh, in the future so that people are more prepared for these sorts of downturns. Um, so I'd say the issue at hand is that tech Thank you, tech uh, Christina. <laughs> Sorry for the delay. Um, the issue at hand is that tax policy penalizes savings. This affects social capital deepening and its benefits for individuals and society. Compared to the jumble of existing tax savings accounts, as we've discussed, uh, USAs would be make savings more accessible, impartial, flexible, and portable. And most importantly, USAs would assist families as they pursue their own savings goals throughout life, be flexible when those plans change, when those goals change, and ultimately they would finance the creation and development of valuable relationships and institutions throughout society. They would promote charitable giving to help Americans in need, and they would help lower income Americans help themselves. Well, thank you, Chris, Christina. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, you can see the Twitter handles and contact information for everyone here uh, should be up on your screen. Uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, thank you again and hope everyone has a great rest of your day.